I just real quick, I need you to understand, and I'm going to say this to your wife as well, <laughs> um, how happy it made me to go into Letterboxd and see the following two reviews side by side. A uh, four-star review of 28 Days Later from your wife. Uh-huh. And four-and-a-half-star review of Sense and Sensibility from you. <laughs> <laughs> You're listening to Love Ya, your guided tour through the wide and wonderful world of streaming rom-coms and teen cinema. I am one of your co-hosts, Martha Sullivan, library manager and YA lit uh, her viewer. I can never remember the description that I use <laughs> during this time. I really like reading YA lit. I am joined, <laughs> as always, by my co-host. I'm Martin Hagman, adult services librarian and rom-com enthusiast. Enthusiast, you always remember it, and it's always the word that I completely forget. So, <laughs> uh, We are here tonight uh, on this episode that is going to come out somewhere in the vicinity of St. Patrick's Day <laughs> uh, to discuss the 2010 rom-com Leap Year. Uh, Leap Year was directed by Anand Tucker. It was written by Deborah Kaplan and Harry Elfant. Elfant? Elfant. And it stars Amy Adams as Anna, Matthew Good as Declan, Adam Scott as Jeremy, John Lithgow as Jack, Anna's father, and then a bunch of other people, including <laughs> uh, Caitlin Olson in a delightful little cameo as Anna's friend Libby. Uh, so Leap Year is broadly the story of Anna, who has been dating Jeremy for four years. Uh, they are about to move into about to move in together in an apartment in Boston, and she thinks that he is about to propose to her before he leaves for a cardiologist convention in Ireland. Uh, he does not, and she decides that she is going to take advantage of an Irish folkloric tradition, uh, which gives women permission to. Proposed to their boyfriends on leap year. So she promptly follows him to Ireland where shenanigan after shenanigan uh, puts <laughs> itself in her way from getting to him. Uh, she enlists the help of Declan played by Matthew good to help get her to Dublin in time uh, to administer the proposal. Uh, and on the way, maybe maybe decides that Jeremy is not the best fit for her after all. Uh, so, Marin, this is a movie that you have seen quite a few times. I have. Would you like to describe to our audience how you felt when you found out that I had never seen it before? <laughs> uh, aghast? Is aghast the correct word? I feel like I was it somewhere... It might be. <laughs> I feel like I was somewhere in that neighborhood. And it's interesting to me because I feel like... This movie came out on, like, the tail end of um, rom-coms for, um, you know, before they have started to be revived. So it came out in the, the twilight of the 2010 rom-coms. And I don't know, maybe it's just because I didn't have much else to do as a college student. I feel like most movies that came out between 2007 and 2011... I saw in theaters, um, but I just feel like it, it has held on as a, a a classic of the the late genre. 
or the late era of the genre, I should say. Yeah, I will say I just Googled rom-coms of the 2000s, and a lot of these are heavy hitters. We've got The Proposal, which comes out in 2009. We've got How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days, which is 2003. Definitely Maybe, which is 2008. Uh, 51st Dates in 2004. Like, the, the 2000 to 2010 seems like a rich, uh, a fertile ground for for this genre. Absolutely. And I think the early 2010s is where we see it slide. I mean, that's where you get, and I think there's a crop of folks who would blame Katherine Heigl, um, you know, with, like, life as we know it. Um, but... Yeah, I think like post, you know, like 2013, 2015, there's kind of a cultural, and I think it has to do with a lot of factors. I Like I said, I think Katherine Heigl wrongly gets blamed. Um, I think studios just kind of stop making mid-budget movies. Um, that, is well. certainly starting, that is certainly starting to slow down here. Yeah. The, yeah, 2000 to 2010 also just seems like you have a lot of our truly charismatic like rom-com heavy hitters operating all at the same time like again i'm looking at yeah. these movie posters and you've got jennifer garner you've got katherine heigl you've got sandra bullock you've got um ryan reynolds is doing, <laughs> doing really <laughs> strong work but during this time period before he became deadpool um and it is interesting to me, this is not quite what we're talking about, but Amy Adams makes Enchanted in 2007. Mm-hmm. And that feels like sort of a bellwether for where, like, how big she is about to get. Um, Junebug is the first movie that she makes that is huge, or at least huge for her. And that was in 2005. So in just a couple of years, she goes from Best Supporting Actress nominee in this indie film to like huge Disney musical star. <laughs> Although I must have the, the footnote. We, we can't have a knee drop dead gorgeous erasure. Um, oh, of course not. <laughs> and I would actually like to point out that Amy Adams was cast in drop dead gorgeous because she lived in Minnesota at the time. Um, one of her first professional acting gigs was at the Chanhassen dinner theater in the suburban twin cities. Um, mm-hmm. And so she was actually just a local actor that they cast in Drop Dead Gorgeous. Footnote. But an important one. Uh, so tell me, so this movie clearly um, has made it into your sort of regular rotation. Mm-hmm. Uh, what is it about Leap Year that really kind of speaks to you? Uh, Matthew Good. And Matthew Good. (laughs) And Matthew Good. (laughs) Um, Yes, mostly Matthew Good. (laughs) Um, Yeah, he's doing a lot. I I will say, I think the cast is doing a lot of heavy lifting in this movie. Um, I don't think that the character of Anna works nearly as well if you have an actress who is less good at being likable than Amy Adams is. Yes, and not to... Sorry. Oh, I was just say, and not to like denigrate the really good work Amy Adams. Like you need the team of both of them. But just I was obsessed with Matthew Good from uh, BBC miniseries. Um, 
And so getting to see him on the screen, you know, on the big screen in 2010 was like, oh. Well, and and Matthew and Matthew Good and Amy Adams are both playing characters that are at least a little bit and kind of more than a little bit unlikable. Yes. So I think that they don't work quite as well without just the inherent charisma of both of those actors. Absolutely. On paper, they are both nightmares. Yes. And I think that's like that's the point. And mm-hmm. you, you know that I have nothing against an unlikable female protagonist. Um, but I do think that when everyone in the movie that you're talking about <laughs> is kind of baseline, like, ugh. <laughs> kind of the worst. Um, something about them still has to like make it worth it to go along for their ride. Um, so I do want to tell you that I did not know when I started watching this movie that Adam Scott was in it. <laughs> I didn't want to spoil them for you. So I was like, oh, let her find out about scumbag Adam Scott. Um, yeah, I was like, oh, <laughs> okay. Well, and the movie, I think, I mean, for, he's the worst. Like, he's the worst. He sucks. Um. But the movie also, like, he's not even on the poster. So it's a little bit like, as soon as we open, the movie's like, we know why you're here. Don't yeah. worry. We're going to take care of you. It's yeah, going to it, be fine. It, it wastes time with the absolute shenanigans they get up to. The, like, many ways this movie finds, inexplicable ways this movie finds to delay their travel. Um Rather than, I, and I, yeah. Oh boy. Yeah. <laughs> I, um, I do wish that somebody, some, one of the filmmakers had at any point, any point looked at a map of Ireland. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I, there is a, a solid 15 minutes of travel shenanigans that could have and should have been cut here. Um, and I think it just speaks to a lack of imagination. Like, if your goal is to put barriers in between your female lead and her destination, there are a lot of ways to do that. Um, I don't think they needed to resort to just geographically lying to the audience. (laughs) Well, and I think, too, what so often happens, and I think the reason that I often really hate movies or books where... There is an other person that potentially is a barrier to the relationship of the main characters, like whether it's a past relationship coming up or like there's a love triangle. Like I have realized that what I often find frustrating about those stories is it takes away time for us to see why these two main characters should be together. Um, Yes. And so I just inherently have a harder time coming over like knowing that you know so often the character the the questions that are being asked in a romance is why are these two people together and why aren't they why do these two people need to be together and why aren't they together now um and i think this movie does a fairly good job of illustrating to us why these two characters are are right for each other um i think because they give us, they, they kind of hand wave Adam Scott away for the vast majority in the movie. Um, but 
in in that service of focusing so much on the second question of why can't they be together in other ways, I think they luckily don't fall into the trap that a lot of other films and books that have a love triangle or have another love interest or have someone working through a past relationship do, which is just like spending so much time with the character outside the relationship that you don't get enough time to understand why the main characters need to be together. Um, see uh, Bella and Jacob in Twilight. Like the, the story spends so much time on that relationship and wants to leave you guessing so hard. I mean, there are many other reasons why we could dislike Edward Cullen. Uh, but I'm just saying on a structural level, part of the problem with that love triangle is that you just spend so much time with Jacob. And I think that's the trap that a lot of um, books and movies that have a love triangle or have another interest fall into. And so I think they were trying to sidestep that trap. But in sidestepping that trap, they, yeah, they kind of pass the suspension of disbelief of, okay, really, your car is going to roll back into a stream, like, <laughs> or a brook or whatever? Like, okay. Like, they couldn't yeah. just have the car get hit, like. Yeah, there were definitely parts that I was like, okay, this is bordering on farce. But yeah. also, it. It did, like, at a certain point, it was just like, okay, this movie is a farce. Yes. And, like, that is the tone that we are looking for. Um, and that's fine. <laughs> um, <laughs> I mean, you do have to I, end I, it for them. They commit. <laughs> yeah, I did. I am not sure they do a good enough job. Well, I could have used more. I could have used an additional scene with, or a longer scene with John Lithgow. Yes. Who plays her dad. Because I, I do think that one of the things that we are missing a little bit is why is Anna with Jeremy? Right. Like, he is so, the bits of the two of them together that we do see, he is, like, very... Dis, like kind of dismissive and just sort of half there and like we find out that he proposes to her in the end so that they can get their apartment and then he tells her that oh. like but she has a like blink and you'll miss it sequence with um Declan where she's like yeah my dad lost all of our money and I had to work two jobs to support us and our house got repossessed on Christmas and it's like oh that's that's it Yes. Like that that is the moment when we kind of understand how much she values stability over anything else. And I would have liked another scene. I don't know. I think that there was material between her and her dad that could have been rewarding to explore even just a little bit more. Yes. Um, I think we needed a little bit more. I think we needed a scene of John Lithgow being like, well, honey, like, I know I screwed you up, but don't end up with that loser. Like. Although he's very, he's very pro the two of, like, very pro Jeremy. He's on board. Yeah. No, like, I needed, I needed him to have a moment of, like, don't, don't go 
running in the other direction. Like, don't value... I know I created instability. Don't value stability so much that you end up with this loser. You know, like... Yes, that would have... Yeah, because then... That would have let us like him. Mm-hmm. Despite what... Like, despite the history that he and Anna have... And also would have been a nice little foreshadowing for the end when she's like, let's not make plans. Even <laughs> though at that point, I did like that little exchange when she talks to Declan and is like, let's not make plans. And he says, no, let's, because that yeah. is what the two of them. It was very much like lampshading. This is what the two of them have learned from each other. Exactly. But also in a way, in a way that I appreciated. Well, and I think it also made it balanced because I think this movie could have fallen into the trap, especially coming out just a couple years after Knocked Up, I think this movie could have fell into the trap that Knocked Up falls into of, look at this type A control freak woman who just needs an unplanned pregnancy and Jonah Hill to help her, <laughs> you know, settle down, you know, calm down. And I believe I, it's Seth Rogen. Oh, Seth Rogen, you're totally right. Uh, <laughs> It shows you how much I like and remember that movie. Um, and I, I think this movie does a good job sidestepping that by saying, oh, no, they both have issues. Like, she yes. she needs to lessen her need for control, but he also needs to, like, have ambition and want something because yes. clearly this person who left him, like, wrecked, you know, his ability to be a functional adult. Um, I don't think it's quite as good as Always Be My Maybe, but it is very similar to Always Be My Maybe in that way. Like, both of the main characters clearly have something that they need to learn from the other one. And ultimately, at the end, we want them to be together because they make each other better people. Oh, oh, Brene Brown would be so proud of me. She's over-functioning <laughs> and he's under-functioning. Together, they function. They function. <laughs> I do very much want to see Declan's pub after Anna gets her little staging <laughs> claws all over Oh my over gosh. It. It's going to be so cute. So cute. I bet she would make it like the coziest. Um, see, I was the first thing. The first time that I was kind of aware of Matthew Good, I was very late to the Matthew Good train, you will be uh, shocked and appalled <laughs> to realize. I want to say the first thing I saw you... him in was Downton Abbey, but that seems... Were you a Stoker person? Oh, no. Okay, that's fair. I never actually saw Stoker earlier. It just seems like something maybe you would have seen. I I have not seen Stoker, but the thing that I saw him in first was uh, the Watchmen movie in oh, 2009. yeah. And he is very good in that. <gasps> no, I'm lying again. He was in Matchpoint. Oh, God. Okay, the first thing that I, like, recognized him as an individual in was Watchmen. There you go. I mean, because he's kind of more of a supporting character in Matchpoint, right? Yeah. Okay. This man has made a lot of movies. He's made a lot of movies. Yeah, I think the first thing I saw him in was Confessions of an Ugly Stepsister. 
And boy, did he set Tweenage Marn's heart aflame. I tell you what. <laughs> yeah, so for our first watch, were you, will this become part of your rotation? Uh, I thought it was charming. I enjoyed the time I spent with it. I don't know that I will feel the need to revisit it. Um... Yeah, I I definitely had fun with it, but yeah, I, I I don't know that I will I will rewatch it again. I might if I like if I have somebody who I'm like I think you would enjoy this. Let us watch it together. Um, I can see doing that. Okay. I also just don't rewatch a whole lot of stuff these days. Um, I tend to rewatch stuff when I'm like sick. Yeah. And it's like stuff that is big and three plus hours and I can fall asleep during and wake up and be like, oh, it's the Battle of Helm's Deep. <laughs> I was going to say, is your sick movie also and Lord of the Rings? <laughs> go back to sleep. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's the right part to wake up for. Yeah, but I had fun. Um, I love, I, as much as I complain about the filmmakers not understanding the geography of Ireland, I do love a camera shot of sweeping Irish countryside. Yes. I love a soundtrack that includes Irish fiddle. <laughs> um, I watched this with subtitles on because I watch everything with subtitles on. And there were quite a few times when it just subtitled the music as Irish punk. <laughs> <laughs> Which I thought was very funny. That's excellent. Um, and it was nice to revisit uh, some of Amy Adams' early works. I think... Her early work, I think she has really grown into a pretty tremendous acting talent. And it's always fun to to go back and see, like, oh, these are the first things you made. Um, I feel the same way about Isla Fisher, actually. Oh, yeah. She has, she has some early stuff that it's fun to watch and be like, I remember when I saw Confessions of a Shopaholic in the theater. Oh, I blocked it from my mind. It was cute. It was fine. <laughs> Ugh. That was one. I never read the book. Oh, see, that was one where I was like, oh, this is trash compared to the book. Much like Ella Enchanted. I could not. I love Anne Hathaway very much. I could not bring myself to see that movie. Yeah, that's the right choice. Don't ever do it. It's bad. Yep. It's bad. Uh, I just want better for her and for that story. I, yes, I want a better adaption, please. I actually just found, so, sorry, set tangent. Pete, you can cut this out. Yeah. Um, my boss's. Leave son, it in. My, we, we cut nothing out. <laughs> my boss's son was doing a big project on the wasteland, which I was obsessed with in high school. And I literally used to carry around like a little slim volume of like selected poems of T.S. Eliot, including the wasteland in my high school backpack. And so when we were talking about it, I was like, I wonder if I still have that. Sure enough, go to my bookshelf, still there. And I found Incredible. the I found the receipt from 2004. Apparently I bought it the same day I bought myself a copy of Ella Enchanted. This Bring is a this beautiful story. Thank you. Bringing the story back full circle. I also found a hall pass from high school tucked away in it. <laughs> That movie or that book feels like it is ripe for a 
like a do-over if disney wanted to make like a disney plus original like a mini series i feel like that would i would watch it absolutely honestly confessions of a shopaholic also do for a makeover although i i would <laughs> i would be fine if they adapted other sophie kinsella i was so happy with the um oh my gosh it moved from hoopla and netflix why am i not can you ever forgive me that's the one with melissa mccarthy oh no i've gotta look this up it's gonna, gonna drive me crazy I say i love oh can, can you, you keep a very... oh i can you keep a secret yeah uh, Can You Ever Forgive Me is a fantastic movie. Okay. Um, it is not a rom-com. <laughs> um, no, it's fabulous. Um, I would love it if they made, if we're talking about Sophie, Sophie Kinsella books, I would really love a film adaptation of um, The Undomestic Goddess. I oh, think yeah. that would be very fun. Oh, that would be very fun. That's right. I forgot that was your favorite. That is a, it is. That is a very good one. Yeah. Um. <laughs> I really love, um, like, totally undomesticated person has to figure out or has to learn that, like, housework is hard. <laughs> I, I, love, I love it when people who, like, kind of look down on homemaker-y type stuff then have to, like, do it and go, oh, no. Oh, this is a skill. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that book is hilarious. I would also love an adaption of her book after that, Remember Me. I haven't read that one. Yeah, that's a, that's a fun one. Um, it's about a girl who has amnesia and wakes up like three years later and thinks she has the perfect life that she dreamed of and discovers the life she thought she wanted is maybe not the life she actually wants. Intriguing. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Well, tangent. Yes, movie studios. If you're out there <laughs> listening, please adapt Ella Enchanted and all the Sophie Kinsella's. And while you're out there, please also make a new good version of the Scarlet Pimpernel. Come on, people see a Batman movie every two years. You can get a Scarlet Pimpernel in there. Our pitch packets are ready. <laughs> so, is there anything? Um, I feel like the answer is probably no. But if is there anything about this movie that you would tweak or fix up or uh, anything that you would? If the movie is close to being perfect, how what steps would it have to take to become perfect? Yeah, I think, as I said earlier, I think they need to cut down about 15 minutes of the shenanigans. And I think they need to tame some of it so it feels more believable. Like, I get there's a certain point where we just recognize, like, oh, we're in a heightened reality of a rom-com. Okay. But I th I think there are a couple places where it does stretch beyond it. I think the, the car backing in to the pond or whatever, brook, whatever, is the most egregious example. I think that they need to change to, like, getting into a car accident. Um, That would be my big... Um the big change I would make um, just so, cause yeah, I, th I think that kind of tests the suspension of disbelief. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I was reading, apparently there were additional scenes with um, Anna and her father that got cut and I would put them back in. 
The movie is a very tight hundred minutes, and I feel like we could add five to seven and sort of flesh out that relationship a little bit and give us all a little bit of a better understanding over why she is spending so much, um, like putting so many eggs in the Jeremy basket. Exactly. Yeah, I say cut 10 minutes of uh, road trip shenanigans, add back five of John Lithgow, which nobody would ever be mad about. For real. Um, honestly, too, maybe having another scene or two with Caitlin Olsen, because that she part was I, so good. She was so good. That part I did actually rewatch today while I was having dinner, and she's so good. Yes, Caitlin Olsen, always a good choice. Yeah, so maybe have a couple more scenes with her. And honestly, if they could figure out a way to get the two old, the two grumpy Irishmen in for a couple extra jokes, I wouldn't be mad about it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Anytime there's a grumpy <laughs> Irishman, and I, I swear I'm using the Irish phrase here, having some crack. Like, <laughs> I probably use that phrase incorrectly, but. Just having a go at it. Yeah. Yeah. Any. Wouldn't it, okay, let's let's consider this alternative reality. 2010. Okay. Uh wouldn't have been funny. I mean, Brendan Gleason was maybe too big at that point to be cast in this movie, but not that much too big to be cast in oh, this movie. As one of the grumpy Irishmen? Yes. <laughs> I like it. I like it. I would have liked that alternate reality. Yeah, again, I think 2010 was just about when he was getting too big. Because I think 20, because that's post uh, in Bruges, right? Um, yes, so yeah. in Bruges comes out in 20, in 2008. Okay, so he might have been too big by that point. But if they had made this movie like three years earlier, pre in Bruges, I bet they could have got Brendan Gleeson. <laughs> Just speaking of Irish people, I did want Matthew Good's accent to be a little better. Yeah, that's fair. There were a couple of moments where I was like, oh, honey, you had it and then you lost it. <laughs> I, I, As much as I adore Matthew Good in this movie, imagine the version that has Michael Fassbender. Ooh. Actually, Irish Michael Fassbender. I... I... Michael Fassbender's a little too threatening. Yeah, I that's think. true. He's a little too dark. He's yeah, he's a little too like I I don't know that I would believe Amy Adams getting in the car with him. <laughs> yeah, he looks like he could hurt you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a good point. I was just trying to think. I mean, today the obvious choice would be Paul Mescal, but I was trying to think of like what young Irish actor at that time. Although I do think I mean, I know that he would not have been an option at that point, but Paul Mescal would have killed this. Right? Paul Mescal would have absolutely killed this. The man has charisma for days. It's the only reason yes. I sat through how many hours of normal people. Um, so after people are done enjoying Leap Year, what would you recommend for them? Um... What would I recommend for them? I'm very sorry, Martha. I completely forgot to prepare, prepare this part. That's okay. Because it's been a little while since we've done the podcast. Uh, it has. Sorry. Oh. It's okay. Well, I have a road trip rom-com, but I don't know how well it's aged. 
Um, okay, well, I'll put it with the caveat. Sorry, Pete, you can cut this part out. Um, I will put it with the caveat of, I don't know how well it's aged. All right, well, speaking of rom- uh, road trip rom-coms, um, a road trip rom-com I was actually just talking with Pete about um, is a 1985 one by Rob Reiner. Um, it was an early Rob Reiner film called The Sure Thing. Um, and it stars a very young John Cusack um, as a um, young man who go needs to get to California to meet up with his friend and um, get from New England to California to meet up with his friend who has arranged a date for him that he claims is quote unquote a sure thing. Again, 1985 cannot vouch for how well this is aged. Um, the 1980s were peak road trip sex comedy it's fine (laughs) um he yeah he ends up uh riding hitching a ride uh with these fellow college you know other students from his college um and ends up falling for one of them um it's it's a little bit also enemies to lovers um yeah also road trip shenanigans also young john cusack which what else do you need (laughs) so that that is the one this reminded me of the most uh martha what would you recommend so i have a book uh by jenna evans welch it is called love and luck it is in her love and gelato series although each one is sort of a a standalone entity, so you don't need to have read Love and Gelato to appreciate Love and Luck. It is about Addie, who is visiting her visiting Ireland for her aunt's destination wedding. Uh, Addie and her brother Ian are uh, struggling to connect with each other, and due to some sort of extenuating circumstances, uh, she finds herself on a road trip across Ireland with Ian and Ian's very cute Irish friend, Rowan. So it is a little bit um, family drama. It is a little bit road trip book. It is a little bit young love in the beautiful Irish countryside. Uh, Jenna Evans Welch writes really charming uh, travel books. Each one of hers takes place in a different European locale. Uh, And this one is just, uh, it's lovely. And I, it, it covers a lot of bases for me. I love a story about siblings I love a story about repairing a family relationship, and I love a road trip movie Aww, or think, a road trip story. <laughs> do you think Netflix, because Netflix did Love and Gelato, right? Do you think Netflix is going to pick this one up? I don't know. I don't think I knew that they did Love and Gelato. Didn't they? I swear, I've seen a movie version of Love and Gelato. They did. Put it on the list, Marin. Wait, we didn't cover it for this podcast? I thought I watched it for this podcast. Absolutely not. I've never heard it. I did not know that this existed. <gasps> I'm so excited. Oh, well, I'm we very... going to watch this. <laughs> well, I'm very glad to be the one to <laughs> inform you that this happened. I'm very I'm very sorry I uh, failed in my duty as your friend uh, to let you know uh, that this happened. Um, nope, I love this. And I love to see that Jenna Evans Welch was one of the credited writers on it. It's very this fun. Is very, this is very exciting to me. Excellent. Well, we will put it on the list, and I will be very excited to rewatch it. Delightful. Uh, we are going to put it on the list. It will not be the next movie that we are watching, however. 
the next movie that we will be watching is another Netflix original. It is called Hello, Goodbye, and Everything in Between. Uh, the tagline is Claire and Aiden make a pact to break up before college with no regrets and no broken hearts. However, one epic goodbye date may offer them a last chance at love. Um, whenever anybody says, let us break up with no hard feelings, you know things are going to get silly. <laughs> Uh, so that is going to be our next episode when we are back with you uh, in a few weeks. Until then, you can listen to our sister show, Did You Do Your Homework?, that drops on the same feed on alternating release dates. Uh, we have gone down to an every other week release schedule with both of the shows because our dear friend and spouse Pete is the only person here who edits all of our work. Uh, and we decided that sustainability was a little bit more important than um, volume of content. So uh, be on the lookout in a couple of weeks for the next episode of that, where Pete and I will be talking about the John Wick movies. You can also follow us on social media. I can be found in most places at Magical Martha, including tinyletter.com backslash Magical Martha, which is the newsletter I write whenever I feel like it. Um, I just released a list of the top 10 people that I think should host the Oscars next year. So that is mostly tongue-in-cheek with a couple of uh, serious suggestions hidden in there. Frankly, if the Muppets don't get to host the Oscars <laughs> at some point, I don't know what we're doing here. See, and I think they Mar should just go back to basics. Bring Billy Crystal back. Billy Crystal would also be very fun. I'm also very, very pro Steve Martin, Martin Short, and Selena Gomez oh, hosting. Yes. Either as themselves or in characters. They're only murders in the building <laughs> characters. I think either one of those would be very, very fun. That would be excellent. Marn, where can people find you? Uh, folks can find me at Twitter, where I tweet a lot about romance novels under a at a underscore star underscore danced. So, if that interests you, feel free to give me a follow. Fabulous. Am I forgetting anything? I don't think so. Fantastic. Thank you all for coming on this Irish journey with us. I hope you all enjoy this episode with a pint of Guinness and a corned beef sandwich or just some Irish soda bread if corned beef's not your thing. We will see you in a couple of weeks. And just remember that we love ya. Something that we did not talk about. Yes. Oh, were Amy Adams's delightful 2010s fashions. Oh, I forgot to talk about the, oh my God, the <laughs> opening shot with her and those, why was everyone obsessed with those heels that had the little cutout in the front and she's wearing them in the snow? What the hell? Uh, we're she, not going to put that she goes, she goes on an international flight wearing heels with an ankle strap and nothing has ever been more sociopathic to me <laughs> well thank you friend this was very fun i'm glad we are back at it yes and uh yeah thanks for letting me go down um the old rabbit hole oh anytime because yeah this was oh always such a fun one Yes, um, it was a delight. Yes. Well, and I'm glad you now know about uh, Love and Gelato.
Uh, truly, I'm so mad that Netflix does not know me well enough to have told me that that came out. That is like, wild. I get emails from them every week that are like, we're releasing a movie we think you might like. And maybe I just deleted that one, but I'm pretty sure they did not tell me about it. And that annoys me. Understandably.